You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast each Sunday at 11 a.m. on WLOB 1310 a.m. and available streaming online at WLOBradio.com. Podcasts are available at DrLisa.org. Thank you for joining us. Here are some highlights from this week's program. The physiologic effects of fear, of anger, uh, of surprise, all of those things have an effect on the heart. You suddenly get a fast heart rate. You feel Some people can really feel their heart pounding. And indeed, there is something called broken heart syndrome. People also need to be exercising and ambulatory. The most important function that a person can give to their venous system is walking because every time you take a step, the foot and the calf contract and it's the muscles contracting that pushes the blood back towards the heart. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Pierce Atwood, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you are listening to show number 22, Happy Heart, which is airing for the first time on February 12th, 2012, right before Valentine's Day, which also happens to be the 11th birthday of my third child, Sophie. Happy birthday, Sophie. This week's Happy Heart show involves interviews with Dr. Mylan Cohen of Maine Cardiology, Dr. Chris Rogers of the Vein Center at Portland Surgical, which is an affiliate of Mercy Hospital, and Jen Goldman of the American Red Cross. Happy Heart's a pretty appropriate thing to be talking about, Genevieve Morgan, wouldn't you agree? It certainly is right before Valentine's Day. The heart is such a great metaphor for so many things. What is it in Chinese medicine? Well, we've talked about the five elements before, and we're actually kind of, we're two seasons away from the heart season. The heart season is the summer season. It's the season of joy and heat, and it's it's associated with the color red. Fire is the element, um, and the emotion is laughter. Um, But it's interesting, when we talked about, I believe in the girl power segment, we talked about different types of energy and power. We talked about yin within yang and yang within yin. Every season has an element of the other seasons in them. So it's funny that in the middle of winter, we have a little bit of red hot heart heat. Passion. Passion, exactly. And it's a perfect time of year of it because perfect time of year because things are starting to um, heat up. You know, we have in other parts of the world, not necessarily Maine, where we're still pretty deep in the winter, but we have the sap is starting to flow a little bit, things are starting to rise and wake up, and and, and life is starting again. So this is Chinese medicine. Heart is joy, laughter. What are some of the other organs associated with the heart in Chinese medicine when you're doing acupuncture? On patients. Well, in acupuncture, all the organs are associated with the heart. That's interesting. Yes, all the five elements really can be tied back to the heart. And if you look at, we've talked about the kidney organ, and winter is the season of the kidney, and the element is water, and we've talked about that being fear. Well, you that's actually, um, 
it's that's the controlling element is water controls fire, which makes sense even from a rock, paper, scissors kind of standpoint that water would control fire. So if you think about it from a Western medicine standpoint, of course, the kidneys and the heart are um, very much related. We have congestive heart failure, which is an over overage of fluid in the body. Um, well, the kidneys are a vascular organ as well. They pump blood. Blood is filtered through the kidneys. So that makes sense. And that's one of the reasons why we decided to have Jen Goldman from the Red Cross on, because it's not just about the heart and the veins, it's also about what goes through the heart and the veins. Well, and cardiovascular health, it is about both pieces of that word. It's about the heart, but it's also about the arteries and veins that lead into the, that take blood away from the heart and bring blood to the heart. So talk a little bit about the the challenges that people face because it's a terrible epidemic in our country and what are some of the threats to heart health and then let's talk about how we get happy well there there are, we have a lot of things kind of acting against us right now and Everybody knows about this two-thirds overweight obese thing. So you have people are larger than ever before. They're more sedentary than ever before. Um, they're getting less exercise than they ever used to. Their children are bigger and more sedentary than ever before. So all of these are strains on the heart. And simultaneously, we have the anxiety associated with a difficult economy. You know, people are losing their jobs. They're having houses that go into foreclosure. Um, we're still dealing with military conflicts. I mean, it's a very challenging time. So we have, and that really meant, that can really impact your heart health. It really can. Um, and in fact, we did health wealth last week, um, show number twenty-one, and we talked about the stress of finances on one's life, and it really it does impact the heart. And Dr. Mylan Cohen is going to talk about a study that came out that is um, proved a relationship between stress and traumatic events and sudden cardiac death. So we know that there is a direct physiologic relationship between stress and heart health. And that's, that's, sudden, that's sudden death. Um, over time, you know, we have the whole type A personality, which is, you know, over time, stress on the heart can cause a weakening of that musculature and um, can lead to early death due to cardiac disease. So how can people intervene before they get to that critical stage? What, I know that in complementary and alternative methodologies, there's a lot of focus on stress release. So for instance, in your practice, what are, what are some of the tools you give people to protect their heart and keep their hearts happy? Well, you talked about how um, organ systems are related, and I said that all the organ systems are related to the heart, and um, the lungs, of course, even Western medicine, but also Chinese medicine are related to the heart. So as I've said before, one of the first things that I teach people to do in, their pra in my practice is teach them how to breathe. Because if you're not even getting the lungs that well oxygenated, then you can't get the oxygen into the blood and you can't aerate all the tissues of the body. And you know, it's, that's very important for stress relief, physiologically. And, and yeah, because deep breathing also triggers the parasympathetic nervous system, the calming aspect of your central nervous system too. So. Yes. And the other thing that we do, at least in my practice, is I do a combination of acupuncture, um, nutrition, lifestyle counseling, um, and just counseling in general. So all of those things, if you think about that, can impact the heart. Acupuncture also has an impact on the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, and we know from functional MRI studies that they impact the brain. Um, we know that um, 
nutrition and lifestyle counseling can have a positive impact if we can get people doing things that are better for their bodies, but also counseling in general. If we can get people to really examine what's going on in their lives and their transitions um, that makes them happy, that makes them unhappy, then we can help them get back to a place of having a happy and healthy heart. One last question. Where does salt fit in in all this? Salt is one of these nutritional um, elements that got a bad rap. And there have been so many. I mean, we, we are so good at finding nutritional demons. Yeah, I, eggs spring to mind. Yes. They all, I think everything has at one point, and we've talked about this, I think, at past shows. But, um, you know, cholesterol is bad. Fat is bad. Carbohydrates are bad. Protein is bad. Really pick anything, and it's been proven to be bad. I mean, we really can't eat anything anymore. <laughs> uh, right. But it really, it's always about moderation, and it always has been. And that's part one. Part two is it's about moderation, and it's about how each individual... Um, is interacting with his or her foods. Some people can tolerate salt, some people can't. I mean, you need a certain amount of salt because um, there is a sodium chloride exchange that occurs within the cells of the body. So you need some salt. You need good sodium chloride, good salt um, for your body because otherwise there's chemicals, you know, table salt that's got And that comes in, in with sea salt or Celtic salt or kelp salt. Yes, there is, yes, and there is nutritionally better salt. Um, but some people can't tolerate it. That's why people have been told for a long time, low salt diet. Well, some people can't tolerate any salt. So these are the people who will have higher blood pressure because of it. Everybody needs a little bit of salt. And in fact, if you don't have enough salt, then it can cause problems too. So you have to know whether you are a salt sensitive individual. You have to know also what you're eating because um, one of the problems in our culture with more processed food is that things people are adding stuff to the food that we're eating and we have no idea what it is. And how do you feel about alcohol and heart health? Because I know there are a lot of studies that say that one drink a day is heart protective. But I'm not sure where you come in on that. Again, it's all about moderation and one's individual um, situation. I mean, because we know that there's been a link between alcohol and breast cancer. So you have to know yourself, your family history, you have to know your set of circumstances. Frankly, you have to know whether you have an addictive personality. And some people, it's all well and good to say, yes, one glass of red wine is good for your heart, but if you have an addictive personality and you can't stop at one, you shouldn't have any. So I'm not a teetotaler and I'll enjoy my glass of wine or my chocolates because those are also good for heart health. But in the end, it's really about knowing yourself, taking the time to know not only what keeps your heart happy, but what keeps your heart and your body healthy, and um, really taking advantage mindfully of those things that on a regular basis can be good for you. So this week, it's going to be an interesting show. I know that we, we sometimes go far afield from the specific health topics, but this week it's a very, it's a very health topic to show. We have two doctors. Mm, very and tight. Very, yep. And we have somebody from the American Red Cross. So we are talking about blood and veins and hearts. But what's really great is talking to Mylon Cohen. He's got a broader perspective even on the heart. So it doesn't matter how hard we try to keep it strictly medical. We still get a lot more interesting than that. We're looking that forward. That is true. Yes, it is. <laughs> so we hope people are going to enjoy our happy heart show. And we wish everybody the happiest of pre-Valentine Sundays. Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. This week's wellness innovation segment, sponsored by the University of New England, is about motherly love. 
A recent study at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis found that school-aged children whose mothers nurtured them early in life have brains with a larger hippocampus, a key structure important to learning, memory, and response to stress. This new research is the first to show that changes in this critical region of the child's brain anatomy are linked to a mother's nurturing. The study validates something that seems to be intuitive, which is just how important nurturing parents are to creating adaptive human beings. The public health implications suggest that we should pay more attention to parents' nurturing, and we should do what we can as a society to foster these skills because clearly nurturing has a very, very big impact on later development. For more information on this study, go to eurekaalert.org through the drlisa.org website. For more information on the University of New England, go to une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. Today on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we have a special Valentine's Day edition, and we thought we would invite in one of our friends who is a cardiologist, which is a heart specialist. So thank you for coming in, Dr. Mylan Cohen. Thank you for having me. And Genevieve Morgan is sitting next to me. Nice to meet you. Um, Mylan, I know your wife pretty well, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you in. But you and I have a lot of, there's a lot of crossovers in what we have done professionally. You have a master's in public health from from Harvard. That's right. Let's just start there. You're a different sort of cardiologist in that you have a broader, well, not that other cardiologists don't, but you have a very broad view of heart health, when it, public health, heart health, how it impacts our community and our society. Can you speak to that? Well, the reason why I first thought about getting a degree in public health was while I was a cardiology fellow down in Boston, uh, my chief came to me and felt that uh, it might uh, broaden my perspective, uh, give me a background to do cardiovascular research. And so I participated in a summer program that was run by the Brigham Women's Hospital at the time that really launched me into that area. Uh, then in completing the Master's of Public Health uh, degree, it really was helpful in seeing a, a broader perspective, uh, seeing the relationship between cardiac health and so many other things like uh, socioeconomic factors, emotional factors. Uh, and uh, I have to say that perhaps today in my practice, uh, I may not um, be uh, practicing all of the uh, breadth of public health, but it does inform some of the things that I do. And I think that it also helps me make comments on policy and, and, uh, and uh, it can in, at times be helpful in affecting how uh, the hospitals uh, approach, approach health on a, on a larger on a larger basis. And it's especially relevant because health disease is such an important problem in our culture. That's correct? right. Yeah. Uh, people don't realize that more women die of cardiovascular disease than breast cancer. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a, a large killer of people in developed nations. So you are from Maine. Yes. You went to Presque Isle. That's to right. To high school. Yes. Um, 
how has that uh, informed your decision to go on to be a doctor? Because I don't know how many people from your class went on and became doctors. I, I once had a senior partner who introduced me once I came back to Portland. Uh, as uh, said, this is Mylon Cohen. He's from Prescott, Maine, that breeding ground of Harvard cardiologists. Uh, <laughs> I think I was the only uh, physician in my graduating class in high school. Um, but I think what it does is it gives me a, a great appreciation of the people of Maine, the patients that I see, the, the, just the, the whole breadth of uh, socioeconomic statuses. We see people who uh, are out of work. We see people who you know, work, work uh, hard in the fields or on lobster boats. And then we see CEOs of companies uh, and other people who are highly educated. And I think it, also knowing a little bit about where they come from in the state also is very helpful in, in relating to patients. Mm-hmm. Are you, um, would you say also that your medical career has been dictated by some of the personal experiences you've had in oh, your sure. own health? Sure, definitely. Uh, I think back to uh, uh, an individual who was a uh, professor at uh, the University of Vermont College of Medicine where I went to school who really was instrumental in, in guiding me towards cardiology. And around the t- same time that I, I met him, I actually uh, had an illness of my own. Uh, and ended up having to have a couple of uh, pretty large operations uh, while I was a medical student. And one of the fundamental things that I learned during that, which I still uh, remember every day that I see patients, especially in the hospital, is the importance of just being asked, is there anything that I can do for you, or is there anything else that I can do for you before leaving the room? Uh, just that, that simple question uh, for a patient in the hospital, I find to be very helpful. And that's something that I, I may not have actually had insight into had I not been a patient myself. Did people do that for you when you were going through your own health issues? Yeah, I, I, th- not only did they do that, it was just the idea that uh, someone was spending the time there and that they ac- actually cared enough to see if there was anything that they could do to make me more comfortable. So there is a relationship between actual physical health and emotional health that, you've, that you recognized early on. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, I think in general that, uh, and there's actually studies to, to co- collaborate this, that people who have a better sense of well-being, who are generally more happy, uh, actually tend to have better health. On the flip side of that, people who have depression may have other associated physical illnesses. And specific to the heart. There's higher mortality uh, both after heart attacks and after having uh, open heart surgery in patients who are depressed compared to patients who aren't depressed. So it is important for people to actually deal with their mental and emotional well-being from a physical standpoint as well. Yes, absolutely, yes. The heart also seems to be one of the first places where an emotional stress registers in the body. If you have fear, your heart starts to beat quickly. If you have heartbreak, your heart hurts. So I'm interested in what you have to say about that because it's so, something everyone can relate to. So much is attributed to the heart, you know, the soul. Uh, the, the and at one point it was thought to be the um, the basis for your personality. Um, but you're right. Uh, the physiologic effects of fear, of anger, uh, of surprise, all of those things have an effect on the heart. And you mentioned a few of them. You suddenly get a fast heart rate. You feel some people can really feel their heart pounding. And indeed, there is something called broken heart syndrome. Uh, it, this is something that's been recognized for quite some time and only recently actually has been given a more formal name. But some people who have uh, 
extreme emotional stress can actually develop a heart muscle weakness, uh, a cardiomyopathy, if you will. And unfortunately, most times it's reversible. And also, there's something called uh, anniversary death. Uh, it's not infrequent that uh, a couple, uh, if one of the, the members of that couple uh, dies after many years together, it's not unusual for the other member of that couple to die shortly after that or sometimes on the anniversary of the death of their, their spouse. With this in mind, do you ask patients specifically about their relationships or about what's going on in their lives emotionally? It often comes up. Uh, I can remember one patient in particular who would always uh, develop uh, increased chest pain on the anniversary of her uh, spouse's death. And so now I know that a few months before the anniversary comes up, I see this patient in the office and I'll uh, specifically prescribe some medications that help the heart uh, slow down, blunt the effects of adrenaline, and uh, decrease the chances of her having a heart attack. And, and then later on, after the, this period of time has passed, we can stop the medications and she does just fine. Mm. So that's a way that instead of just saying to a person, oh, you look like you might have X, I'm going to give you Y drug, and then stay on it indefinitely, you sort of, you're able to move and shift with what you know to be her That's right. For this state. particular patient, that seems to be a pretty good strategy. It works for her. And you were describing before we came on air a study that had to do with another way of dealing with a heart issue, atrial fibrillation and yoga. Can you tell us about that? Yes, actually, there was an article that was published in a medical journal just a couple of weeks ago that indicated that yoga is helpful in improving uh, people's sense of well-being who have atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation is an arrhythmia. It comes from the two top chambers of the heart. They're uh, not beating in any organized fashion. And uh, when that happens, oftentimes people can feel a very fast heart rate. And it can be uncomfortable to some people. Other people don't even know that they're in atrial fibrillation. This study looked at the effects of yoga in patients who have atrial fibrillation and found that it improves their overall um, sense of well-being and it reduced uh, the symptoms that they were having. It didn't prevent the recurrences of atrial fibrillation, but people felt better when they were in it. What are some other preventative measures people can take to protect their hearts? Well, certainly uh, taking care to maintain a good diet and to uh, exercise regularly are two things that are certainly helpful. Certainly not smoking uh, and, uh, and getting enough sleep. Uh, reducing stress is also uh, helpful. Uh, those are the, the primary things. Uh, if it, you know that you have high blood pressure or high cholesterol, taking measures to control those uh, is certainly helpful. And that doesn't necessarily mean medications at first. Oftentimes it does in, in patients, but uh, you know, just exercising, losing weight is often enough to control, uh, and, and, and uh, paying attention to diet is often enough to control hypertension in many people. Can, can you just drill down a little bit on exercise? Because I'm always, as the wellness editor at Maine Magazine, I'm always telling people to exercise, but there's aerobic exercise and anaerobic exercise. And what is your recommendation for? You know, it's as simple as just exercising by walking three times per week. It's been shown that if you can walk 30 minutes three times per week, you reduce your chances of a heart attack by half. So uh, the thing that I tell patients is just move, you know, walk. Uh, in patients who have joint problems and feel that they can't walk far, I'll often encourage them to swim because that's non-weight bearing. And even just floating in a pool, moving around a little bit in a pool, 
uh, is going to be helpful for those people. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC, and by Akari, an urban sanctuary of beauty, wellness, and style located on Middle Street in Portland, Maine's Old Port. Follow them on Facebook and learn more about their new boutique and Medispa at akaribeauty.com. I know that you have a special interest in diabetes, and I'm wondering if you've seen any change in the number of patients coming in with diabetes or pre-diabetes in your practice or within the state of Maine since you began practicing. Diabetes is an epidemic, and because uh, our population is getting larger, uh, the incidence of adult-onset diabetes or type 2 diabetes is increasing, and of course, with the onset of diabetes, there's a uh, very tight relationship with the development of uh, cardiovascular disease. So uh, the incidence of diabetes is rising. It's not surprising that uh, heart disease is also increasing uh, in those patients. So anything that we can do to reduce the onset of diabetes will be helpful, and that means uh, careful attention to diet, exercise, weight reduction. Those things are very helpful in reducing adult onset diabetes. Have we gotten better about offering services for patients who need them in this area? That's an interesting question. I would probably have to defer to some of my colleagues in endocrinology and diabetology. Uh, I think there's a lot more that we can do for patients. Uh, there's a lot that we can do from the public health perspective, tying in the question you asked me initially. I mean, in Maine, we, are, we, are, we have long, cold winters, generally. and. Uh, and so it's a little harder for people to get out and walk and be active uh, in the winter. Uh, but even simple things like redesigning uh, areas of towns with better sidewalks, uh, moving things closer together so that people can walk from point A to point B, just simple things like that would encourage physical activity, which then, of course, improves cardiovascular health, helps people lose weight, et cetera. And then from an architecture standpoint, uh, there are things that we can do with public buildings. And make sure that uh, the stairs are easier to find than the elevator, for example, and, and encourage people who can walk upstairs to actually take the stairs rather than to ride. I know that you and Dr. Dora Mills graduated from the University of Vermont at the same time, so it's interesting because she was the state director of the, the Maine CDC. Um, do you think there's something about being a Maine high school student that causes you to be more interested in public health? <laughs> I never really thought of that. Uh, I think that's probably something that's just uh, part of someone's nature, I guess. Um, I, can't, I can't point to any single thing uh, growing up in Maine that made me think that uh, I really had to pursue any background in public health. I have to admit that it was something that really kind of came about almost by accident while I was in training. Uh, but. I, I do feel that the people who I know who grew up in Maine, who go into medicine or other health fields, do seem to have uh, a real tie to communities, have a tie to the people that they take care of, um, have a real uh, sense of responsibility to improve the, the health of people they come in, in contact with who are from the state. 
there are very interesting things that are happening within the healthcare system right now, within the country, within the state, but even within your practice. That's right. Can you tell us a little bit about what's been going on? Well, two days ago, something really momentous happened. Uh, in Portland, there were uh, two large cardiology groups, Cardiovascular Consultants of Maine and uh, Maine Cardiology Associates. And to, as of two days ago, both of those practices integrated with Maine Health, the parent organization of Maine Medical Center, uh, to form Maine Medical Partners, Maine Health Cardiology. This was four years in the making. Uh, it required uh, uh, oversight by the Federal Trade Commission and the Attorney General's Office in the state of Maine. And we're very excited uh, now, two days into this new organization, that we're going to be able to do a lot of things much, much better to improve the cardiovascular health of the uh, citizens of the state of Maine. Uh, this is going to allow us uh, to care for people regardless of their ability to pay. It's going to allow us to uh, do even better at bringing new technologies and, and uh, new methods of uh, uh, caring for patients with very complex cardiovascular disease, bring new techniques and uh, high technology uh, to bear on, on these diseases. And it's also going to allow us to recruit and retrain, retain top-notch uh, cardiovascular specialists. So we're very excited about it. What's in the future of Dr. Mylan Cohen? What's up next for you? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to get through this first week, I think, of our newly established practice. Uh, Are you going to eat any chocolate on Valentine's Day? You know, I'm a definite chocolate fan, I have to say. Uh, a little bit more, uh, I, I like dark chocolate. And uh, if you believe the research that was sponsored by Nestle and Hershey's, uh, it may actually be good for your vasculature as well. Uh, but I guess it's, it's like everything, everything in moderation. And uh, so I tell my patients, if they want to have a little piece of chocolate, that's okay. Uh, just make sure that it's not a lot. And uh, same with things like coffee uh, and even alcohol, for that matter. Uh, the right amount of alcohol is actually favorable for cholesterol uh, and can be favorable for, for high blood pressure. But in excess, it can drive the blood pressure high. It can make cholesterol higher. It can also cause heart muscle weakness or cardiomyopathy. So it's a great example of uh, just the right amount. So you're going to eat chocolate. We know that. You didn't address <laughs> I might specifically. Have a glass of red okay, wine too. glass of red wine. All right, but what makes your heart happy? What's what are you going to do? What do I do? Yeah. What's your future hold, and what gets you your heart happy? What, and what makes me happy? Uh, in the it, first of all, my family. Uh, you mentioned Maya at the beginning of the of the uh, interview, and so. Uh, Spending lots of time with my family is very important. And Seeing you have a sophomore grow. who's sophomore at in high school. Cape that's right. Elizabeth, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And what we all enjoy doing in the summer is sailing. Uh, we have a sailboat. We find that incredibly relaxing to cruise the coast of Maine, uh, bicycling. And then uh, some of my colleagues will be horrified to find out that uh, I've actually started riding a motorcycle. I find that very relaxing. Um, and my wife has taken it up as well. And, and I also enjoy reading. And uh, in the winter, uh, downhill skiing, although this year hasn't been a great year for that. Uh, and then sometimes just being at home in front of the fireplace and enjoying a good book. And then I've mentioned yoga before. I also enjoy yoga. So you are a doctor who practices what he preaches? I try as much as I can. Yes, you are. All right, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us today. Thanks for having me. Our bodies are often the first indicators that something isn't quite working. Are you having difficulty sleeping? 
anxiety or chronic pain issues? Maybe you've had a job loss, divorce, or recent empty nest. Dr. Lisa specializes in helping people through times of change and inspiring individuals to create joyful, sustainable lives. Visit doctorlisa.org for more information on her Yarmouth, Maine medical practice and schedule your office visit or phone consult today. This week's Maine Magazine Minutes also has to do with having a happy and healthy heart. And our wellness um, editor for Maine Magazine and co-host Genevieve Morgan is going to talk to an interesting physician within the community, another interesting physician who is doing things that make people's hearts happier. That's true, Lisa. Thanks. Uh, We have today in the studio Dr. Chris Rogers from Portland Surgical Associates, which is now part of Mercy Hospital. Am I correct? Yes. Yep. We uh, joined up with Mercy Hospital as an official uh, relationship about 14 months ago. Well, welcome. uh, Thank you. Now, you do something different than cardiovascular surgery. You emphasize the vascular part of that word. Can you explain what that is and how that relates to the heart? Sure. Our uh, practice has been general surgery for 20-plus years. And in general surgery training, there is some vascular surgery training. Some of that vascular surgery training deals with the venous system, then that's the part of our circulatory system that returns blood to the heart. So it's imperative to have a good, healthy return system for that pump in order for it to be, quote, happy. And what are some of the signs that your veins aren't working the way you would like them to? Well, some of, some of the visible signs can be as simple as small spider veins on the surface of the skin. And then people who have more advanced problems can have more uh, large, ropey-looking or worm-like veins underneath the skin that bulge out and are uh, kind of unsightly for folks. And then as the vein system sort of degrades or deteriorates, then people can have some leg swelling and changes in the skin and fat texture to the uh, tissues and uh, pigmentation problems where they get a very deep brown pigmentation in the skin. And that's actually the iron pigment from blood that's leaked out of the veins because they're under a tremendous amount of pressure. That sounds painful. Uh, the, the swelling is very uncomfortable for people, and people also describe sort of an itching and burning sensation. Um, but primarily it's a, a pressure and swelling that they're sensing. Uh, some of the inflammation can become painful, and the ultimate uh, sort of end organ that gets damaged is the skin. Uh, as the inflammation evolves, people start to actually break down their skin and have what's called a venous ulcer, and that's a sign of very advanced uh, vein disorders. But that's why you're here, to intervene before that it gets to that stage. Right. One of the reasons that we're having you on Maine Magazine Minutes specifically 
is because Maine Magazine about a year ago recognized that wellness was an important aspect of living in our state, that people in our state not only um, moved here for emotional and psychological reasons, but also to be healthier, to live a healthier life. And Genevieve last year had interviewed three doctors, I'm one of them, and this year is interviewing three doctors um, that are doing great things within the state. You've had to do different things within the state, interesting things within the state. Tell us how things have changed for you. Well, the uh, sort of traditional surgical background um, has always been a very procedure-oriented, very acute care-oriented. And by acute care, people coming into the hospital being sort of immediately ill and working with them. And so that process is... Um, very much a find a sick person, fix a sick person sort of process. And you don't actually go out and find them, but they come to you because they're that ill. And then a part of general surgery is what's called elective uh, surgery, where people come in with a, a problem and you fix it by mechanical means. And one of the things that we... Uh, have always recognized, especially regarding the venous system, is there's a big element of uh, sort of preventive or sort of stalling kind of care, but definitely preventive. It doesn't always have to be interventional. It doesn't always need a surgical procedure or some other procedure associated with it. Right, so so take care of things early, and take, then you won't be critical later on. Yeah, take taking care of things early, and pro- the be- the best thing that people can do, and and we really promote this in our practice is try to have people um, achieve a normal body weight, for instance, because obesity is directly linked to disorders of the venous system. Um, People also need to be exercising and ambulatory. The most important function uh, that, that a person can give to their venous system is walking because every time you take a step, the foot and the calf contract and it's the muscles contracting that pushes the blood back towards the heart. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Pierce Atwood, part of the Portland legal community for 120 years. Clients turn to Pierce Atwood for help with important deals and critical disputes, for creative solutions and sound advice about legal or business strategy, for peace of mind. For more information on Pierce Atwood, go to www.pierceatwood.com and by Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, makers of Dr. John's Brainola cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. So females uh, multi-parity or having had uh, multiple children, uh, and heredity has a huge basis we don't know any of the real genetic links, but there's definitely a genetic tendency for family members to have um, varicose veins, and it probably relates to the connective tissue structures either supporting the veins or in the vein walls 
themselves. And then the other 25% are men, and men usually don't come in because they're self-conscious about their veins. They come in because their legs hurt. So most of the women we see earlier in the disease process, and they make up the majority of the patients, the men are a lesser percent, but they come in with much more advanced problems. And so our job really is to sort out an individual, find out their unique history, find out some of their unique family history, and then uh, get down to what the real pathology in a patient is. So that starts with uh, obviously the history, then a physical examination that encompasses listening to their heart, checking the arterial side that Dr. Cohen probably talked about, the heart pump and healthy arteries and hardening of the arteries and things like that. So uh, a vein doctor wants to check that side too because there's crossover between chronic arterial and chronic venous problems and you have to sort those issues out as well. So once we get that basic physical exam done, then we can sort of see the pattern that a person's varicose veins or spider veins uh, have or which leg is swollen and which isn't and start to kind of mentally conceptualize what the underlying problem is because it's not really a, a skin problem per se. The skin is the end organ that's getting damaged. It's really a, a much, you have to carry it down uh, sort of anatomic layers. So there's Our bodies are made up of skin, then a fat layer, and then a muscular layer. There's two venous systems. There's a superficial venous system in the fat layer and skin, and then a deep venous system in the muscular layer. And the deep venous system is generally healthy in most people unless they've had a deep vein blood clot mm -hmm. or they were congenital uh, born without valves uh, in their veins and, and it is the valves that I'm ultimately the, pre the predominant trying to get to. The predominant condition you see is in that superficial correct in the fat level correct and so then we then you see that uh, pattern of surface phenomenon and you say okay the next layer down is the sort of larger return veins um, and if you think of a, a skeleton, the up and down directions called the axial directions. So we're looking at those axial veins and where they pipe into the deep system. The deep system carries most of the blood back to the heart. And as I said, most of the time that's fine. The superficial system is the system that gets damaged most of the time and it's thought to be because the superficial system is only supported by the fat structure of the body. It doesn't have the thick muscles and connective tissue within that muscular system. And that makes sense as we age and gravity takes its toll and weight and right. starts to break down. And, and we're talking about some of the demographics and age is a demographic and age is related to worsening uh, uh, vein problems and it's because our connective tissues lose their elastic property it makes the vein wall weak so the vein can dilate it or get bigger and what that does is it pulls apart 
very thin connective tissue valves in the vein that are supposed to be only going in one direction up towards the heart. And if the valves are pulled apart, then they don't function as a valve and they just let blood tumble back towards the feet. And that pressure is what causes the big bulging veins and then ultimately the surface phenomenon on the skin. I'm sure there are many of our listeners out there that would like to learn more. How do they contact you at at Portland Surgical Associates? Well, um, we are part of Mercy Hospital, so I'll I'll plug Mercy. You can get to us through the Mercy website and through uh, the Mercy switchboard, and a direct telephone number would be 553-6500. And we have uh, information about our venous practice on portlandsurgical.com. And then we're also linked to the American College of Phlebology, which is phlebology is the study of veins. And so the American College is the major academic uh, college that's uh, organized and helps certify uh, physicians who are practicing in the venous system. and. Uh, they have excellent patient education materials right on their, like basically their front page, American College of Phlebology. Well, we can link to that, right, from the Dr. Lisa? We will Lisa. put it on the drlisa.org website so people will very easily find you and your practice. And thank you for coming in. Right, thank you. Dr. Chris Rogers is just one of the many excellent medical professionals operating in our state today. We are lucky enough to have a statewide system of care from Eastern Maine Medical Center through Mercy Hospital and Maine Medical Center and Southern Maine Medical Center, where many of these medical professionals work, live, and play in our lovely state. To read about three exceptional doctors, please pick up the April 2012 wellness issue of Maine Magazine at your local newsstand or visit us online at themainemag.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. And by Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. With offices in Yarmouth, Maine, the Shepard Financial team is there to help you evolve with your money. For more information on Shepard Financial's refreshing perspective on investing, please email tom at shepherdfinancialmain.com. There are so many things that we could have on our show for give back for our Valentine's Day show, um, but we chose to have Jen Goldman on from the American Red Cross. She's going to talk a little bit about something that has to do with both the veins and the heart, as described by the doctors who were on earlier, and that is blood. Hi, Jen. Hi, Lisa. Tell me, you were telling me off air, what is the difference between your part of the American Red Cross and the other part? Well, we are actually one Red Cross. I work specifically for blood services. Um, We make sure that the blood supply in Maine is where it should be. The other part of the Red Cross that we do work with is disaster services. And disaster services is the part of the Red Cross that responds to fires or emergencies. You probably hear more about disaster services on the news than you do about blood services. Blood services are very relevant. Today, it's snowing out. 
I'm hoping by the time this show airs, it's not snowing anymore, and it'll be a beautiful spring day, of course, but not likely. What happens when it snows in Maine with regard to blood? Well, that's a very timely question because here we are in the middle of winter and we do actually right now have an urgent need for blood. Uh, What happens in the winter, we need to collect 300 units of blood every day. In the winter, we have snow, which in a lot of cases, we have to cancel blood drives because of the snow, which can wipe out 300 units of blood a day. The other thing that happens in Maine when it snows, um, our demographics tend to be older donors. So when it snows, older people are less likely to drive to blood drives. So we really, really struggle and need to find new donors during the winter months. What are some of the criteria for being able to give blood? In Maine, you have to be 17 years old and weigh at least 110 pounds. Although uh, recently, in the past couple of years, 16-year-olds can give blood with parental or guardian signature on a permission slip. You also have to be in good health the day you give blood. And there's an entire screening process that people go through to get blood. Is that correct? When you arrive to give blood, we do what's called a health history, which I always refer to as a a mini physical. It's about five to 10 minutes long, and they'll take you into a little booth, and they'll take your temperature, they'll check your iron levels, they'll check your blood pressure, and they'll ask you a series of questions about medications you might be on, where you've traveled recently, and assuming you pass all these tests, then you move on to the part where you actually give blood. What types of things are hospitals using the blood for? Hospitals use the blood for lots of different things. Um, The things that you probably hear the most about are trauma, car accidents. Oftentimes somebody can end up in the hospital after a car accident and need anywhere from three to 30 units of blood. Um, Cancer patients use blood. Organ recipients use blood. Uh, People who are transfusion dependent obviously use blood. So uh, that's why the need is so great in Maine. The Red Cross provides the blood to all 39 hospitals in the state. And you can only get blood from a person, correct? I mean, at this point, you can only get blood from people. And in fact, um, the reason the reason it's so difficult to to keep the supply up is because Blood at this point in time can't be manufactured. We can only get blood from people. So we need Maine people to go and donate blood. And there are many locations that I know are available to people in Maine. Yeah, we have probably six to eight blood drives every day, six days a week, and sometimes on Sundays. Our blood drives run from Fort Kent down to Kittery. We have two fixed sites in Portland and Bangor, and actually a third fixed site in Lewiston at Central Maine Medical Center. We have businesses running drives every day, we have schools running drives, and then we have community drives at churches and uh, synagogues and rotaries. Now this is for sort of a pint of blood, but people can also do a platelet donation, is that correct? They can they can donate platelets, but they do have to go into one of our fixed sites. And that takes a little bit longer. It does take a little bit longer than donating whole blood. We have a very a vast selection of movies though for donors who are giving platelets to watch during the process. What's the reason number one reason people don't give blood? 
Can you guess the number one reason people don't give blood? Needles? Not needles. Any other guesses? They think it's unsafe. No, the number one reason people don't give blood is because nobody's ever asked them to give blood. We go into the middle schools and the high schools and we encourage kids to get out there and ask their parents, ask their teachers, ask people who have never given blood to give blood because if they're not a blood donor, it's probably because nobody's ever asked them. Is there a certain blood type? I know there's A and there's B and there's O and there's AB and there's positive and negative and some people get confused about this, but is there a certain type that you like to see? Well, we're always looking for O negative blood. O negative um, is the universal blood type. And what that means is if you were in a car accident and taken into the hospital and they didn't know your blood type, they would automatically give you O negative blood. We use a lot more O negative blood than we do other blood types. How did you get into this line of work? Uh, good luck. Good, but what makes you so, you're clearly, you're sitting across from us, you're so passionate about what you're doing. Even when you came in the door, you were so passionate about this. What makes you so passionate about this? Well, I really feel like whether I have a good day or a bad day in the office, I've made a difference in lives at the end of every day. Uh, so it, it, it makes me feel good about the work I'm doing. How can people find out more about your organization? Well, people can call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make an appointment. They can also go to our website, www.redcrossblood.org. It's a great website, very comprehensive, and I suggest people check it out. Well, yeah. and out of a, a million, 1.5 million population to get 300 units a day, people have to give regularly, consistently. Well, we encourage people to give regularly. People can give whole blood every 56 days, and we really do have a lot of people who show up on that 56th day ready to give another pint. Most of them have been touched in some way. They've had a family member or a loved one need blood, but there really are, there are a lot of dedicated donors, but we need more dedicated donors. We can always bring the blood drive to you. We. Our job at the Red Cross is to make it as convenient as possible for you to give blood. So we'll bring, we'll bring the bus to you, we'll come to your place of business and set up a blood drive, but just call us at our Forest Avenue location and we'll make it easy for you to give blood. And just to be perfectly clear, the body replenishes the pint that you give within 56 days. Yes, the body does replenish the blood quickly. The uh, average adult has 10 to 12 units of blood in their body. So we encourage people, write it on your calendar every 56 days and um, become a regular blood donor. Well, for this virtually painless experience, people can go to your website, as you've already mentioned, and we will link through on the Dr. Lisa website. We thank you for coming in today, Jen. Oh, it's been a pleasure, and I hope to see both of you and all your listeners at a blood drive in the near future. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo. You have been listening to show number 22, Happy Heart, airing first on February 12th, 2012 on WLOB Radio. In this show, we spoke with Dr. Mylan Cohen of Maine Cardiology, who suggested that doing anything, even moving about in the water in a pool, or having some chocolate, or doing things that made our hearts happy could be good for our hearts. Dr. Chris Rogers of the Vein Center at Portland Surgical, affiliated with Mercy Hospital, 
spoke about the relationship between other parts of our body, our veins, and our heart, and how everything is interrelated. And Jen Goldman of the American Red Cross left us with, with an important message, which is that often people don't do things because they aren't asked. They don't give blood because they aren't asked. And I would suggest, as would Genevieve Morgan and the other members of our radio team, that perhaps we need to be asking more of our listeners. We need to ask you on this Valentine's Day to go out and do things to make your heart happier and healthier. In other words, love yourself. It's cliche, I know, but we're often told we need to love our children, love our spouses, love our partners, but love yourself first. Go out and do good things for yourself that make your, yourself happy, make your heart happy and healthy. Subscribe to our podcast, Dr. Lisa Belial, through iTunes, and get us in your inbox on a weekly basis so you can listen to us while you're out doing heart-healthy activities such as biking or running or walking around a track. Forward our emails to your friends and family. Go to drlisa.org to become a newsletter subscriber. And connect with us on Facebook at the Dr. Lisa page. So we're asking, we're asking you to love yourself, we're asking you to love us, and we're asking you to listen to us again next week as we talk about gaining ease on February 19th, which will be our 23rd show. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Pierce Atwood, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Chris Cast and Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Jane Pate. For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. Tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m., for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 AM, or streaming WLOBradio.com. Podcasts are available at drlisa.org.